Well, last week we began a sermon series on the Beatitudes, and we didn't hop right in to the Beatitudes. We looked in Matthew chapter 5 a little bit about what's going on around it uh, before you just hopped into it. You need to understand what would, and if you remember, if you were here last week, if you weren't, that's fine. We'll catch you up here a little bit. Uh, Last week, we saw right at the first of Matthew chapter 5, we saw in the passage that it begins by saying that when Jesus saw the crowd, it doesn't just say that he asked the crowd to come. It doesn't say that he just started teaching and a crowd showed up. It said that when he saw the crowd, and then he began to teach. And I think that's very important because we talked about the fact that when Jesus sees a crowd, he sees every individual in the crowd. When we see a crowd, we just see a big old group of people. And so that group of people is there, and it's full of a bunch of people that we don't know. And, you know, maybe they're doing something we like. Maybe they're doing something we don't like. It doesn't matter. We're just looking at it as a crowd. But when Jesus puts his eyes on a crowd, he sees so much more than what we see. And I think that that is a very timely message and reminder for what we are experiencing in our country right now. I'm not condoning behavior, but I'm reminding each one of us that crowds are made up of people who Jesus loves. And crowds are made up with people who have needs and hurts and desires and experiences and life. And that Jesus Christ came and laid his life down for every single person in that crowd. And we are to live that way as well. He loves us so much that he died for us and he gives us the great opportunity to just love one another. The greatest commandment says it all. All the law and all the prophets hang on it, Jesus says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. We're to put everything that we have into loving God. And then he says, and the second commandment is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, I always find it interesting to see God's handiwork. Many of you... uh, probably don't know this, but when, when, when I'm planning things, I'm kind of a nerd, kind of a planner, and so I, I write things out over a long period of time, and as we even began this year, some of you probably don't remember, because some of you aren't going to remember what I said in about five minutes, and that's okay, I don't either, okay? But I started the whole year with the great commandment saying we need a reminder to love God with everything we have and to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's where we started this whole year, and everything that we've been doing this year has kind of come back to that. And then even as we look at the Beatitudes, we're reminded of that. And I'm also reminded that when Jesus taught the great commandment, that people looked at him and they're looking for a loophole. And they said, okay, Jesus, I got a question. I got no problem with loving my neighbor. That's awesome. Just tell me who my neighbor is. That's what they asked him. So, So who's my neighbor? And in that story, Jesus picked the person that the Jews could not believe that he picked. He picked a Samaritan. And basically, for those who might not understand that significance, Jesus picked the one that was the most difficult for the Jew to love. And he said, that's your neighbor. And you're to love them like you love yourself. So Jesus was giving the example then 
the same example that he's given us today. There are no race lines in the kingdom of God. There aren't any. God created all of us, and he loves each one of us. All of us are broken and sinful. Some of us are willing to deal with that. Some of us are not. That's the reality of the world that we live in. But it has nothing to do with anything else other than our relationship with God. So when Jesus saw the crowd, he saw people who've been created in his image, given life so that they may reflect the glory of God and find purpose in knowing and following him. And he knew that when he looked at that crowd, that there was not one person in that crowd that was capable of finding the life that they desire without knowing and following him. That's what he saw when he saw the crowd. And here's what we need to understand is that Jesus wants every person in that crowd and he wants me to have new life. Jesus wants me to have new life. Now, what does that mean, new life? You see, he gave us life in the first place, and now he wants us to have life as it should be. He created life, and he's the one that can help you find life, because life apart from Jesus is no life at all. The best that this world has to offer is filthy rags in the kingdom of God, and at best, Because I deal with my brokenness and my sinfulness in this world on my own. I'm part of the problem. I'm part of the brokenness. I'm part of the things that make this world go in a direction that leads us far away from God. And so I understand that without him, I cannot find life. Which is why Jesus looked at the crowd and said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is is theirs. The first words out of his mouth are the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now, the poor in spirit, what does that mean? It truly means those who realize that they have nothing on their own. The poor in spirit, those who realize that they are in desperate need. The poor in spirit are in the right place spiritually to put themselves in a place where they can be changed. The poor in spirit, hear me on this, may have everything that this world has to offer and yet find themselves empty because they're missing the thing that they need the most in Jesus Christ. I want you to notice something as well. If you have your Bible opened to Matthew chapter 5, if not, you can look it up online or whatever. Look at, look at what it says here. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now that's kind of key because glance, if you will, at the other Beatitudes following this verse and see what you notice. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are, those, blessed are the humble for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be Blessed are the merciful, for they will be. But the first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. He says, we come to a realization that we have nothing apart from God, and we realize how broken and poor in spirit we all are, and it's at that point in time that God can fill that gap, and then the kingdom of heaven is yours. So, hey, graduates, congratulations, by the way. 
on, on this accomplishment in life. We're all very proud of you. We are rooting for you. Um, we're behind you on this. And here's my word of advice for you. And then you can go back to sleep, okay? As you enter into this new season of life, never forget that you're always in desperate need of a Savior. No matter how successful you get, no matter how God blesses you, no matter where he leads you, never forget that you are always in desperate need of a Savior and that you have no life apart from the life that he gives you. That's what we all need to realize. God has blessed some of us quite abundantly in this life, but the truth is we are broken and alone and desperate apart from him. And everything this world may pour out on us can be satisfying for us temporarily, but it's never going to be enough. So you see, there is a truth for all of us, and that's this. To find new life, I must realize that I need new life. You know, I, I believe that in our culture and in, in America and in our, in our town of Weatherford and the surrounding places, I believe the biggest problem with people coming to grips with a, a relationship with Jesus Christ is just that they flat don't believe they need one. They like go, I'm good, you know, things seem to be working out all right, and I'm comfortable, and I'm happy, and things seem to be going well, and as long as I stay in my bubble, all works out well, and it's very difficult to convince someone who thinks that they have enough that they need anything else, right? But to first find new life, you have to realize you need new life. Look at what the psalmist says in Psalms 86, starting in verse 1, it says, listen, Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Protect my life, for I am faithful. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Be gracious to me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant's life, because I appeal to you, Lord. For you, Lord, are kind and ready to forgive, abounding in faithful love to all who call on you. Jesus saw that need in the crowd and he spoke to it. Do you realize your great need that you have for a savior? Or have you bought into this lie of moral relativism in our culture that causes you to believe it's always somebody else's problem? Well, I'm not as bad as that person or I don't have it as bad off as this, so I'm, I'm okay right now. But boy, that person, they really need Jesus. You know, I've literally heard people say that. I'm good, but boy, they, they could use what you're, what you're selling there, pastor. And we all need to realize how desperate we are without a loving Savior in our life. So don't buy the lie that God grades on the curve, okay? Um, all of us need to live in an awareness of our need for Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean we walk around helpless and hopeless. I'm just a worthless sinner and I'm just no good. That, that's, that's not what it is. It is living in the realization that apart from God, there's no way I have life. And so I realize that broken and desperate and needy that I am, that God fills that gap. And because I filled that gap, now I get to find life. And again, I, I remind you of a verse in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says, I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. You see, you gotta realize here that God wants you to have life. Just because you may be poor in spirit and realize that I am broken and in need of a Savior doesn't mean we just walk around shuffling our feet, looking at the ground, going, I'm no good. It means that we say, I have life in Christ that I could never have 
apart from him. Jesus wants us to have a full and abundant life that is impossible without him. It's the realization that we need to have is that I am incapable of abundant life apart from the grace and the work of Jesus Christ. Or maybe a way to think about it is this way. I am spiritually bankrupt without the grace of God. That is it. I've got nothing in the account apart from the grace of God. Spiritually, there's nothing there without the grace of God. I have nothing without Jesus. I am poor in spirit without the spirit of God filling my life. And here's the great news. And I I say this often, so many things about God's word that make no logical sense at first, but they make perfect spiritual sense. And God's trying to get us to see the world in a different way. The moment that we realize that I have absolutely nothing without Jesus, Jesus says at that moment, we have everything. Because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Because it's at that moment that you realize, I don't have anything without Jesus, that you say, Jesus, I need you, and then you have it all. Because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You see, sometimes passage we follow the beatitudes and you know blessed are this blessed are this and we start asking ourselves the question well what does it mean to be blessed or even better tell me if you've done this just just go ahead and raise your hand I'll keep mine up tell me if you've done this in a minute you define what blessed looks like and then when God doesn't meet that you kind of get frustrated anybody else with me on that okay thank you two of you that are the rest of y'all need to wake up I'm preaching okay I mean I do that all the time I'm like, okay, God, I want to follow your word. And then, you know, blessed, that kind of looks like this for me. I really wish you'd bless in that way. And then when God doesn't do that, I just, well, maybe I'm doing something wrong. No, see, God wants to bless us, but we need to understand what it means to be blessed. First thing you need to understand about what it means to be blessed is that true blessings come from God. True blessings don't come from anything in this world. True blessings aren't something that you can always have tangibly in front of you. True blessings come from God. James reminds us of this when he says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, meaning what? Is that God gave us life and he wants us to have life abundant and everything that we have in this life is a blessing that comes from him and it's to be used for his glory and for our good and that's how it works. And so anything that you have in life that is a blessing comes from God. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus came so that we can have life and have it more abundant. He says it as clearly as he can in scripture. So true blessings come from God. It's not the collection of stuff that we think it is all the time. It's things that come from God and God alone. Sometimes it's stuff. Sometimes God gives us stuff because he wants us to use it for his kingdom and for his good. But oftentimes it's so much greater than just stuff. God gives us so many blessings in our life. And we need to understand this. Not only do true blessings come from from, from God, But God wants to bless. God wants to bless. Parents or grandparents. No, wait. I'm parents. I'm going to leave you out of this. Grandparents, raise your hand. Grandparents, you want to bless. Amen. 
Uh-huh. You don't even care what they did. You want to bless, don't you, grandparents? It doesn't matter. It do, well, they were just kind of being a little, you know, difficult. Oh, that's fine. Let's go get them something. That'll make it all. But no, you want to, that's, that's a grandparent for you right there. Grandparents understand this desire to want to bless. Parents do too. It's just we, you know, kind of hold it out on them a little bit more on some of those things. God is the same way. God desires to bless us. Now, again, check yourself right now because are you beginning to define the blessings that you would like God to give you? In your head, are you like going, oh, yes, Lord, I would love for you to bless me, and here's my five specific ways that I would like for you to bless me. You see, God wants to bless us, and he wants to give us the things that we need to have a full and abundant life. And when we realize that we are poor in spirit and have nothing without him, then we can have everything when we choose to follow him. Right from the start, it is in God's nature to bless. I want to show this to you. Genesis 1. Genesis 1, starting in verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Verse 28, first three words, God blessed them. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. Now, why would I want to point that out, that God wants to bless? Because I tell us all the time we live in a broken world. We live in a broken and sinful world. We, we have been separated from God because of our sinfulness. And God created the world in its perfection. And it's the sin of mankind that has put the world on the path that it is in. And so we live in that tension all the time. But at this point in history, when God created mankind in his own image, before mankind had done anything, good or bad, because it is the nature of God to want to bless, God blessed them. So why would I say that? Because you cannot earn God's blessings. God's not waiting for you to dance the right little dance so he can sprinkle some blessings on you like that. That's not how it works. God's nature and desires to want to bless. And the simple truth that he puts out is this. Follow me, find life. The more you follow me, the more you find life, the more blessings that are there because of it. The more you do things on your own and wander away from me and continue to walk in the way of sin, then guess what? The more you separate yourself from the blessings of God and you begin to experience life that's not real full and not real abundant. It's right there in Scripture all over it. And so before we had ever even done anything, good or bad, God blessed, men, God blessed mankind because he wants us to have life. There's one other thing on blessings here. Being blessed is a spiritual reality, not a circumstantial one. You just kind of let that sink in. Being blessed is a spiritual reality, not a circumstantial one. I have been around some of the most blessed people in this world that have nothing. And they are just the most content and the most wonderful and warm and worshipful and godly people you could ever be around because they realize that there's more in this life than just material blessings. And they are just content with that. Look at, look at what it says here in Matthew chapter 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, when God comes again, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 
He will put the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Well, who are those who are blessed by the Father? Those who are poor in spirit. Those who realize their great need for a Savior, a God who desires to show them the path to life. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Let me just give you this one thought as I wrap this up. The greatest blessing that any of us could ever receive, the greatest blessing is citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. It's the greatest blessing you could ever receive. Citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. That we come to the point in our life that we realize that there's nothing that I can do on my own to earn my way to God. There's nothing that I have done that keeps me separated from God. He freely looks into my life and offers himself fully so that I can find life in knowing and following him. And when I come to that point of realization that I have nothing on my own to offer and I accept that I am poor in spirit and I reach out to God and ask him to be Lord of my life, to fill my heart, to forgive me of my sins, to help me know and follow him, then I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and it is the greatest blessing you can ever receive. I just want to close with reading this psalm. Psalm 145, starting in verse 8. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and great in faithful love. The Lord is good to everyone. His compassion rests on all he has made. All the faithful will bless you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom and will declare your might, informing all people of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your rule is for all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his actions. And when he looks at you, he offers himself to you. Do you realize your great need for a Savior? Will you bow your heads with me for just a moment?